Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of Hassan Talks Podcast. This episode uh, comes as well uh, as part of the series that Sudanese creators. We're still trying to uh, uh, get to know more uh, Sudanese uh, initiatives, organizations, individuals who are doing amazing work online or on the ground, either in Sudan or in the diaspora. So we give them some sort of uh, a platform on this podcast to listen to their stories, to get to know them better and see their future projects. And for this episode, super happy, super glad to have uh, Philhart uh, organization uh, on the podcast for the first time. So uh, for this time, uh, a representative from the organization, an active member who is uh, Muhammad Abu Bakr, will be taking us uh, uh, to to that side of, of of the management and and all the work that we don't know that goes behind the doors. And then we see, of course, we see the end result on the ground of Philhart. So. Super happy to have him on the podcast. And now it's their time to, to tell their story. So, hello, Mohammed. Um, hello, Hassan. First of all, um, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity. Honestly, um, any chance for us to get the word out about um, the struggle that is going on in Sudan, certain issues that go unnoticed. And um, the work that we do um, is a, uh, a huge pleasure, honestly, for us. Uh, it helps us... Um, in a way, spread the word about the issues that are going in Sudan. Sudan have been silent for too long, and I think um, such an amazing platform provides um, the world with an insight uh, on what is uh, going on in Sudan, exactly what issues um, need to be tackled and what issues are being tackled by either us or any other initiative that is working now in Sudan. So for that, I'm very grateful again. And um, yeah, honestly, just glad, very glad to be here. Okay, that's amazing. Uh, of course, like there are multiple uh, or good number of organizations who work in Sudan. Uh, you like you hear a lot of names and you see a lot of work done, but there is like something always very special about every organization. That's I believe an organization that's like charity organization, like what you guys do. I think that's quite special as well. And uh, all I want to know, and I'm very interested to know, and I hope the listeners as well, like uh, or the viewers, if you're watching this on YouTube. They want to know how Philhart started. So I don't, I don't know, if, of course, like if you were there from the beginning uh, or you're just like a, a recent member of the organization. But if you have the story, please go ahead and tell us how you guys started. Okay, so um, I'm actually the founder of, of uh, the Philhart organization. I had no idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, we started in... Uh, in August of 2019, on the 25th of August of 2019. Um, and it started with an idea. Um, I've, I've worked closely, honestly, with the uh, with a lot of orphanages in Sudan and uh, in a lot of similar um, uh, capacities uh, in Sudan before. And um, the thing that always um, drew my attention and the attention of the people that worked with me um, to start this uh, was... Um, how issues are not being directly tackled. There are certain topics that are constantly um, avoided. Um, for instance, we started um, by working on the uh, orphanages, which was a very sensitive topic at the time because of the stigma that surrounds uh, such institutions in Sudan. Um, and Philhart came to, uh, to be as a simple idea. Uh, um, what if we can make a difference? Uh, what if... Uh, we can actually change something that has not been uh, addressed before. What if we can solve an issue that has not been solved for years and years throughout different governments and managements and organizations? And um, our main focus at the time was why is um, there social um, inequality in Sudan? The main focus was the fact that, for instance, orphans in Sudan are not treated the same. Um, they're not called the same. They're not addressed as children. They're addressed as yeah. something else. Um, and why is there always stigma about working in an orphanage? Why do um, Sudanese families, and I say this from experience, why do Sudanese families always scrutinize charity work in Sudan? And it, it was basically burned down and, and broken down to the fact that um, there isn't any trust in any charity organization or any charity entity in Sudan. There is that gap between giving something to someone else to give it to someone else. That the gap in the middle is what makes 
the difference. And so we decided to, okay, what if we did the, the work ourselves? What if we go hands-on, paint walls, um, break down walls, build walls, um, change the environment that those children live in? And um, let's base our future projects on that idea of doing it ourselves and doing it the way we believe is the right way uh, moving forward. And um, in a nutshell, that is how Philahad came to be. Wow, that's that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, for me, for me, it's, it's quite interesting to see uh, an organization led by like young people trying to to do the work themselves. You know, like even like work with their hands. You know, change everything, and that's that's brilliant. But I go back to what you said that you you guys started uh, in, in August two thousand nineteen. Yeah, a year ago. Uh, so I believe. Uh, can we say that Philahart is is a, is a result of a revolution in Sudan as well? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. The the revolution not only um, not only allowed us um, a space to actually think of such solutions and think um, the way we thought at the beginning of Philhart, but also it allowed us um, to to gather. It allowed us to have a common base uh, amongst um, amongst ourselves. For instance, at the beginning of Philhart. But we're not all um, on the same, for instance, uh, educational level. We're not all on the same age level. We're not all on the same um, social status. We're very different. The people that started Philhart, they're very different. Um, no one um, knew even, like, we didn't even know each other at the time. It started with an Instagram story. What mm -hmm. if we wanted to do this? How, who, who would like, who would be interested? And it started from there and started going around. And then that's how Philhart came to being. I think without the revolution, that sense of unity, um, that sense of a common cause, a common drive, wouldn't have existed at all, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely agree on this. Of course, from, from my perspective, somebody who's outside Sudan, we're always watching the country from a, like, a completely different angle. You know, We see the change happen in the political scene. And I, I think the whole world watches just the political scene. You know, like The names and the leaders just come and go. But I do believe, of course, it was a, a very cultural change as well. And for you guys, since you're working as well, like to change the uh, stereotypes or the mentality of the people, how they name those are uh, like uh, those, like, you know, uh, part of the society at the end, they, they, they shame them, they demean them, they disrespect them. Okay. And for like for exactly. anybody to start to change that, that, that's a huge thing. You know, it takes sometimes generations actually to correct some sort of behaviors. Definitely, definitely. And um, yeah, like you said, um, change is never easy. And it's simple as that. Change is never easy. And unless you work for it, it will never happen. Honestly. Yeah, absolutely. That goes for individuals. That goes for anybody and having something in their personal life or as big as like changing something uh, that's happening in the country. And uh, I congratulate you guys for, for, for the work you've been doing. Uh, just It's not easy for sure to, to, to keep fighting for something like this because I believe it's exhausting. It takes a lot from your personal times as well. And uh, But of course, if you have a very good like cause and long-term goals and everything is well-planned, then for sure you will reach there and you will even do more. You know, that's uh, like uh, you should always be grateful to Allah for this. Yeah, okay so uh Alhamdulillah. that's yeah. that's the plan that's that's the goal that, that's amazing that's that's brilliant all right uh i, I want to know something about about philahart uh, that uh you guys you guys work during the pandemic as well like to, to help the families that was affected right yes yes um during uh during the lockdown uh, philahart started uh the family initiative which was a collaborative effort uh, led by Philahart, uh, to try and um, provide marginalized communities in Sudan with the support they need. Because as we know, Sudan, uh, in Sudan, most of the people live on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, they live uh, based on what we call here in Sudan, al mm. So um, whether it was tea ladies, whether it was, um, for instance, builders, whether it was so on, so on, so on. And there, are, uh, there aren't any protective laws that protect uh, such individuals in Sudan against sudden cut uh, from salaries or cessation completely of, of salaries and um, this has uh, led us to start this initiative the family initiative in which we provided 
um, th- uh, 3,500 families uh, across Sudan with um, food supplies as well as financial supplies. And the way this was done was actually very interesting. We uh, we kind of mapped the families and decided where we are going to give financial su- uh, support and where uh, we're going to give um, food supplies, for instance. And that was based on a lot of um, variables, for instance, um, their proximity to the cheap selling points that were set up by certain uh, major companies in the country and so on and so forth. And um, by the end uh, of, of this project, which only lasted four months, I uh, started in April, it ended in uh, by the end of August, I believe. Um, end of August or early September, I can't quite remember, but um, by the end of that project, 15,000 individuals were reached by our field teams um, across Sudan. Um, we focused, uh, because of the restrictions, because of the travel res- uh, restrictions at the time, our main focus was in the Khartoum itself, but we didn't centralize uh, the focus. We tend to go to the margins where no one uh, ever goes. And um, yeah, it was a huge, huge project that we're very, uh, we're very proud of. It was um, it was a life-changing experience. And um, doing this work firsthand, uh, you get to hear a lot of stories. You get to experience a lot of what the people go through. And this, uh, in a way, is uh, one of the reasons um, we continue to push forward for, for the cause that we're doing. Yeah, I think it's absolutely different from uh, any NGO that's working like, you know, uh, I don't know, like they're just, uh, I don't know, they work like for national organizations and they don't get to meet the, the local people and they don't understand exactly, you know, the, 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 how the society thinks. They're coming from the outside. It's just like... A, you know, a charity from outside, but you guys, you are from the country. Uh, you are you are living the problems as well. Of course, you're having, you're also facing the lockdown. You're also facing the pandemic. You also have families and relatives. And for you guys to 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 do this, I think that's that's admirable. But to reach fifteen thousand uh, Sudanese uh, during the pandemic or during those four months, I think that took like a lot of work and a big team. I suppose. How big is your team? Honestly, the team isn't that big. There, there isn't a team big enough for the work that we do. Oh, really? Um, yeah, honestly, uh, it took a lot of dedication. Um, we didn't have a, a such a big team, uh, honestly, on the field because of the um, because of simply COVID. Uh, mm. People are scared. People um, want to protect their elders. People want to protect their parents and their grandparents and their families. And um, working on the field had it has it many of the field team members caught COVID while while delivering those supplies mm-hmm. and so it had its risk so um the field team would, wouldn't have exceeded um at the very best 80 individuals and that's at the very most but um it took honestly a lot of dedication um some of the team members honestly uh, would have uh, would stay up until 2 a.m in on the streets of Khartoum delivering supplies against the restrictions against the uh, the lockdown rules uh, to make sure that the supplies reached the people um, they were supposed to uh, to receive um, those supplies and um, yeah like I said uh, when you see it when when you see this kind of struggle firsthand you cannot simply back down you cannot simply uh, ignore it and it drives you up. Mm-hmm. honestly and it, take my word on this it, it will drive 80 people to reach out to 15,000 it, it is doable yeah I, I think it's doable because you guys have done have done the the, the the difficult work or the hard work which is which is like really crazy of course like knowing Sudan being in Sudan before uh, the idea of you know going from point A to point B whatever it's not as simple as anybody could think because the roads are not prepared for that like let away the pandemic and covid and restrictions just the idea of going from here to there that that that's a mission by itself so like more obstacles uh, it's even getting harder and harder so getting into the obstacles like away from all these physical obstacles i want to know like the the uh let's say uh, emotional uh, obstacles or what the society says against you does that happen even though you're doing good work uh, look um, you, you're a Sudanese guy and you've been in Sudan yeah. uh, I believe for, for a good amount of time and um, the Sudanese community by nature has grown 
accustomed to a certain level of, uh, how can I say this, racism, classism, and inequality in general. Um, for instance, I'm light-skinned in Sudan. So when they see me deliver something to someone who is of a similar skin tone, for it, for just for an example, there is immediately that idea that, oh, he's helping his people, he's taking care of his people. Um, keeping in mind the, the very, very complex um, tribal structure of Sudan itself. People from the northern are seen uh, in a certain way by people from the northern region, are seen from uh, in a certain way for, by people in an eastern region or a western region or so. And so that was uh, honestly a very, very huge obstacle. And um, one of, honestly, one of, yani, uh, I'd like just to highlight this, one of the main things that um that hit us honestly very hard during this uh this particular project was the fact that um we discovered that the pandemic wasn't only uh, affecting um affecting us as a community or as individuals within the within the community it was only it was also um affecting the uh the very fabric of 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 the Sudanese society because people who weren't receiving help uh, who weren't receiving help from any entity were looking differently at, for instance, people who are well off, they don't need help, they, we don't need any support. Mm. And those were looking differently at, at the groups that would receive, for instance, help earlier than them. And, so it's dividing um, people it, somehow. It had a, yeah, the, the, the COVID-19 was, was, uh, was, and honestly still is with the second lockdown looming on the horizon, I believe. Uh, it is a huge threat to to this uh, um, to this very particular area of the Sudanese society. But I think um, I think people are a little bit more well prepared this time uh, to face the pandemic. Uh, people, uh, the rising numbers and the rising um, cases in Sudan, they're they're not uh, making anyone's life easier. Um, everyone's scared for their life, but. Um, it just goes to show how fragile Sudan is and so how much uh, Sudan is in need of the work we do and the work uh, people like uh, Philahad and other organizations like Philahad do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think there's so much work need to be done. Like, it wasn't just like the revolution and that's it, everything going to be, you know, rainbows and stuff. No, it's that's the that's the point where the hard work starts actually if you're gonna just lay down and complain right. about what's happening or you take an initiative you know do something as great as fill a heart or even as simple as talking about discussing like problems in the country and trying to fix something trying to see who can who can you help uh, where, where, which part uh, that you can you know help at least the people around you like in the neighborhood you know and in, in Filhilla, this kind of stuff you can you can do so much instead of you know having this attitude of Sudanese Definitely. uncles like sitting down on plastic chairs and crossing your legs and sipping your coffee and then like cursing the government and cursing this and that. Exactly. exactly you can do exactly. you everybody can do something. And now again like back to uh in our pre-chat before before the episode we you said uh, the the power of social media. It's like again you started you started exactly. your, yeah like you started fill a heart with a story on social media. Exactly. Exactly. And fill a heart continues because of social media. Because if we cannot speak about the problems and we cannot ask for help, we're not going to be able to do anything. Yeah. yeah. I think that's another yeah. obstacle, but people outside Sudan don't realize like how terrible the internet is. So for you as well, guys, like for me, like uh, to, to upload a story, it's a matter of like choosing the caption or changing the filter. For you, you have an extra obstacle, which is the internet itself. And people don't realize like... <laughs> Looking like, for, a, for a connection, you know, that's... Yeah, it's another problem. That can be a hassle. <laughs> yeah, so I think that says a lot, like how 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 bad the infra infrastructure in the country and so many things need need to change. Yeah. And I think, yeah, like when the people are motivated to 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 do a change in this particular field, you know, like supporting the the orphans or like another amazing initiative you guys had, which is planting a tree. I, I forget the name of it, like mm -hmm. Green for Sudan or something like this, right? Was it? Yeah, that was that was a work we've done in collaboration with Green for Sudan. Yeah, yeah. an entity named Green for Sudan. It's, uh, they're doing amazing job as well. It, it was just honestly, uh, we simply helped again 
uh, with that. But it was um, the work of this amazing initiative. It's called Green for Sudan, and they're doing also amazing work here. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. I'm trying. I'm trying to cover up all, all the initiatives that you guys uh, have done since the beginning, since like August 2019 to today. So you said they had, you had the the pandemic relief for the families. You have the orphanage as well. Um, you also had floods relief, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, can you take me more into the initiatives that yep, you guys had? Yep. We had the, the flooding today. Definitely, um, the flooding relief project was. Um, uh, a different approach to the problem uh, that was facing Sudan in the period between September and uh, late November, which was the flooding itself. Um, uh, the flooding didn't uh, didn't only um, you know destroy houses, um, you know displace populations, millions of people, uh, kill hundreds of people as well. Um, it uh, it in a way affected certain areas again. You know, people who would not be able to live away from the Nile. Farmers, for instance, uh, people who live in farming communities, people who live um, in the fringes and, again, the edges of, of the capital and the, the major cities where infrastructure is almost non-existent. Um, there aren't any form of uh, protective measures taken um, against the floods, even though the floods happen every damn year. Uh, and so... Um, the whole the whole idea was that um, certain entities and certain organizations were providing food, for example. But uh, we noticed uh, we conducted a field survey uh, in September, and we noticed that the major issue was not food. Food was certainly one of the top three issues mm -hmm. uh, in those areas. But the main two uh, the main two problems were health conditions and sanitary conditions. And uh, we noticed that um, malaria was on the rise. Um, understandably, uh, flooding of water, and yeah, uh, mosquitoes, malaria, um, diarrheal diseases were on the rise. For instance, um, the country itself um, at the time there was a very very huge deficit of medications uh, in Sudan. There weren't any malaria. You can't. You couldn't walk to a pharmacy and buy a medication for malaria if you tested positive for malaria. It was that bad at the time. And so the best uh, measure um, we thought would be what if we can, rather instead of curing people, what if we can prevent this from happening to more people? And that was the whole concept behind the Flooding Relief Project. We want people to, to have a safer stay in the camps even though those camps are not comfortable those camps are are overcrowded uh, we felt that within our capacity what we could do can be very smart but at the same time it can be very small and doable and manageable and have a huge impact at the same time so for instance um, part of the work we did was bury the stagnant uh, water ponds people were wondering oh we're starving and uh, for instance, uh, we have very little food, but you're burying the, the ponds and we had to sit down and explain to them that because there isn't enough food supplies and there isn't enough medications, your immune system is actually weaker. And so you're more susceptible to this. So if you get this, you will die. But you can wait a little bit until we get the food supplies you guys need. That, that, was, that was the whole mentality, trying, yeah. to, trying to educate um, the community about what the real threat can be at this, at this uh, stage. Uh, and so we buried the stagnant uh, pool, uh, ponds, water ponds. And then we decided um, to actually come up with, with this um, modified emergency toilet kind of, uh, kind of uh, design uh, where we uh, actually designed toilets that would be uh, mobile and can mm -hmm. be moved from one place to another Portable, to help okay. actually yeah, to help contain the, uh, the human waste which was a huge issue at the time. Uh, the human waste was uh, was causing a surge in the number of flies. Yeah. So as it's, it's the same pattern. If you cut the cycle, you can prevent it from progressing into something bigger. And that was the same with, for instance, distributing um, sanitary supplies. You know, this would help us prevent a lot of skin infections and dental infections and dental diseases. And um, people were wondering, why did we start distributing sanitary pads to the females? 
Mm-hmm. And we had also to sit down and have this very uncomfortable uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, conversation wow. when we had to explain that this can actually lead to way more severe uh, complications than than people think. Yeah, I and mean, people look at it as something trivial. But in a country that you can't even afford to get an antibiotic for a reasonable price, you cannot risk getting any form of infection or any sort of infection. And so um, the whole concept focused around, okay, we need to protect the people from what is coming rather than what has happened. Do you get what I mean? Because um, at the end of the day, um, yes, Philahat also provided food supplies to certain areas that were in dire need. Uh, Philahat provided clothing as well uh, to certain areas where people um, lost completely all their property and in the floods. And um, the main focus was, okay, we need to also deal with those issues, but our main priority is to stop a bigger issue from developing in those camps. And so um, by the end of the project, which was today, the the official end of the project, Philahart have uh, developed and actually distributed mobile toilets to more than 12 camps um, across the areas affected. Um, this, um, in the smallest camp, the smallest number of people, the tiniest camp actually contained over 600 individuals. And so you can, you can kind of think about, about, uh, the, the level of impact, this tiny little, uh, Mm -hmm. intervention, um, uh, done. And, um, the, the people in those areas uh, and those projects have helped us. Uh, for instance, some of those projects, it's like the flooding relief project and the family initiative, they've helped us not only, um, you know, deliver help to those in need, but also understand, you know, how help should be delivered and what kind of help yeah. should be delivered. You get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understood the whole concept of uh, prevention is. Uh, yeah, prevention, yeah. not not there, like not looking for the cure. As we say in Arabic. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's also very educational. Like I think this 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 uh, kind of mentality set is need to need to be uh, teach uh, taught in the school. You know, t- telling people like you can prevent something, get away from it before it happens. But still, we have this idea, and you know, we're gonna deal with it later. You know, it's not a problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. just do whatever now and. I, I don't know how, of course, this all started, you know, maybe in the 80s or the 70s, but as Sudanese, we were just relaxed. Ah, it's okay. I'm going to deal with it tomorrow. Chill, not not a problem. But I think, is, yeah, I think it's, it's genetic. It's way too, too <laughs> genetic, honestly. Well, hopefully it changed with, with whatever we're experiencing in these, in these years. That's that's amazing work. That's amazing work. Now, now your your vision for uh, like we talked about the past, how you guys were founded. We talked about the presence and your your current projects. I want to hear about your your future plans for twenty twenty one because we are recording this episode just like seven or eight days. Just the new year starts. So yeah. So um, for twenty twenty one, Philahut is uh, going to be taking a different approach uh, towards um, solving community issues. Um, there are a lot of projects that are going to be targeting the Sudanese community um, in a way I believe that is very necessary to, to the way um, the community is right now. Um, for instance, you find that um, throughout our, uh, our work in the Family Initiative, we have actually accumulated a huge amount of data about the families that we helped, um, contact information, addresses, and so on. In addition to that, we um, got to know what the, what the Sudanese people go through. Um, the lack of employment, for instance, have inspired us to plan something that will deal with that. Um, female-related issues um, and so on and so forth. And one of the major things that, that we're working on right now, um, where 2021 is going to be about three projects, three main projects, the LIFE project, the HOPE project, and the RED project. Uh, the life project is a very simple idea um again as i said throughout the family initiative and the flooding relief project we've noticed that a lot of families struggle with lack of jobs simply they rely on the immediate community or the surrounding population to help them um, get by and that is just not the way to go forward it's not because those families or those individuals don't want to work it's simply because there isn't an opportunity for them to work For instance, um, you find that the level of illiteracy in Sudan is definitely going to prevent 
uh, millions from getting a, a decent job. Um, and so the idea was to provide families in need, select families in need, um, with small businesses that they can run. Um, obviously, of course, after receiving proper training and uh, education about the issue from Philahar trainers and from um, uh, officials in the field, in the particular field of uh, economical management and so on. Um, the whole idea is that by doing this, we're not only uh, helping those families get by, we're not only providing them with a source of income, we're also providing them with something sustainable that they can run on their own that can have a huge psychological effect on those families that can help elevate their self-esteem, that can help elevate their social um, status as well as help um, increase their involvement in their community. Because as I said, um, a lot of communities in Sudan feel that they are edged out because there isn't enough space for them within the community. And in doing this project, we're hoping that we uh, can actually tackle that issue and make sure that we are giving those people an equal chance for a better future. And that's that's the life project. That's the first project that we're going to be working on in 2021. Amazing. The second project that we're going to be working on is the whole project. And so um, it's actually taken, again, based on data that we have done in the, uh, that we have collected in the Maigoma orphanage. Uh, we have noticed that um, uh, children in, in those orphanages, they don't, um, I don't know how to say it, um, but those children, they don't survive simply. It's just as simple as that. Like a matter um, of life or death? That's, that's how it is? Exactly. That's that's how it is. Uh, when we started our work in August of 2019 in my Goma orphanage, the mortality rate was as high as 30 per month. That is as a rate of one child per day. That is that's crazy. keeping in mind, that is keeping in mind that Al Maigoma is actually considered the best orphanage in, in Sudan at, at, at the time. Uh, I'm trying just to, to understand that again. You, it's, it's a rate of one kid per day, one orphan per, per day. day. Per day. And that is, and I'm, I'm saying I'm saying those stats very bluntly, that is on a good month. Oh my God. You know? Um, yeah. Uh, and so the, the, the whole project uh, the, the, the Maigoma Renovations Project, when it was concluded or when it was actually put on hold in uh, February of uh, 2000, of 2020 because of COVID and all that, um, the whole idea, uh, the whole focus of the project was to just minimize that number, just decrease that number, decrease that number. And by the end of that project, the mortality rate was three per month. In February of 2020, the mortality rate was three. And um, the whole project is actually taking its aims and inspiration from the Maigoma Renovations Project, and it will be injecting it into different orphanages across the country, uh, with main focus uh, being um, being put on the psychological um, effect of being in an orphanage uh, mm -hmm. in Sudan. So the mental health or the mental aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that will be dealt with um, in a way, I believe that is, Again, this this is how we think, and this is our belief. Um, we believe that this is uh, the way to be dealt with uh, with, with such issues. Uh, in, for instance, addressing those issues in a way that the children that are as old as two days old or as old as, for instance, um, five years old will understand. And that is through something visual, the things that they can see, the things that they can experience. Because as we know, child development begins very early. Mm -hmm. And child development is actually more sensory than, than, than uh, adult development. Our development as adults uh, is more intellectual. Children develop more sens uh, in a more sensory manner. And so everything they see can affect their development. Everything they interact with can, can affect their development. Uh, toys, uh, the environment, the way their room looks, how lit it is. For instance, it has been proven that dim light affects the moon. And it messes the circadian rhythm and the sleep pattern for children. And that is one of the major issues, for instance, we found in my home is that those children, they do not sleep properly because to them, most of the day is night because of the fact that there isn't enough light in, in, in certain rooms. And so the whole project aims to provide those children with a child-friendly environment within which they can grow, they can develop, 
and they can have a better chance uh, for a better future. The history of orphanages in Sudan is not good at all. Even the most recent history of orphanages in Sudan is not good at all. High mortality rates. Um, most of the children end up um, in uh, in uh, compromising situations. Uh, for instance, um, during and this is a fact. During, for instance, previous regimes, children were recruited to work for the yeah. government, and that is proven. That is a fact. <laughs> yeah, they use them for front line in in in, in war. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And when the community around them whether around them in Sudan or around them outside Sudan, is ignorant of their problems, how are they going to feel that they can that they connect to this community? Um, they're definitely going to be the most vicious against this community. Basically. They're going to do everything they can to hurt the community that once hurt them and called them names Basically. and affected their, their growth. And, yeah, that's uh, how it starts, yeah? That's how it starts. Exactly. Like, you cannot, like hold that 16-year-old boy when he has a gun or the AK-47, and you ask him, why did you kill the protesters or whatever? It's it's a very complicated question. It started at this age. So exactly. again, exactly. prevention, you know? We should we should exactly. learn how to understand this. Like That's the end result, but you should go back to how this started. And I think you guys, like, taking my Goma orphanages as a, making it like a, a good example, taking it from, exactly. from where it was to this, that's, that's, that's big work. Yeah. Yeah, and we we would like to to always believe that um, it, at the end of the day, everyone has the same uh, the same chance in life. If given the same circumstances, if given equal opportunities, everyone has the same exact chance in life. It's either fifty fifty, you're gonna do it or you're not. But you can't take um, children um, that have literally done nothing wrong in this world. Um, um, shame them, name them, and then uh, blame them later on when they grow up uh, yeah. for things that they have been taught to do because you have not taught them uh, anything else. And that's the whole idea of the whole project is that we're trying to give children um, around Sudan, give orphanages and uh, give orphans around Sudan a not... It's never going to be an equal opportunity in Sudan, but it can be as close to an equal opportunity as it can be. Yeah. And that's that's the whole project. Um, yeah, that's that's the whole project in a nutshell. Um, and the last project that we're working on is actually a project that we're uh, working on with uh, IGEA, which is a small youth-led um, initiative based in Qatar. Uh, and the idea behind this project is is very simple. It's a collaboration between Philahad and IGEA. Mm-hmm. Um, IGEA um, helped us understand a very important issue. And that is... An issue, for instance, yeah, that is uh, very looks very trivial, sounds very trivial, but the effect of it is <laughs> is, is huge. Oh. And that issue is um, is period poverty in Sudan. Period poverty uh, is um, the the effect of period poverty uh, in Sudan is something that one cannot comprehend until they understand it. Um, so basically, what period poverty is. Um, it is simply an end result that is poverty mm-hmm. that results from girls having their periods. Okay, can you it connect the two the, the two from point A to point exactly. B? I'm so yeah. provoked right now. Yeah. I want to hear more about it. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, females in Sudan, for instance, in a lot of rural areas, are shamed because of their period. Girls drop out from school because of simply not having sanitary pads that of course will cause them to have stains on their clothes and that is visible to their um to their colleagues and to their teachers and so on and to the community around them this creates um, a sense of shame about about a very natural developmental process that all females around the world go through this causes early dropout from school because families are stigmatized they do not want to see people looking at their daughters in a different way. Early dropout from school leads to another issue, which is early marriages in rural areas. In rural areas in Sudan, females as young as 9 and 10 years old get married to people who are way much older than them. You know, that in itself creates a sense... uh, It does not create a sense of anything. It's actually 
traumatizing to the females that experience this uh, this process. It's very mentally draining for those uh, people. It's psychologically almost impossible to understand what those girls go through uh, in such a process. And so this causes early, again, early dropout causes early marriages, and that leads to early childbirth. You find that Sudan is one of the countries with the highest maternal mortality rates in the world. And that is due to that. And one of the main causes of high maternal mortality rate in a country is early um, delivery. As early as 14, for instance. In an area, for instance, that I worked in, uh, it's called Wathamid. One of the patients that uh, arrived at one of the hospitals where where, uh, we were working in was 14-year-old's. Uh, and was a 14-year-old with her child. And she came to actually do the checkup on her child. And we were wondering, okay, where's your mom? Um, she was like, yeah, but this is my son. Why would I bring my mother with me? Do you understand what I mean? And so the early, um, the early childbirth poses a lot of threats for those females, as well as the fact that they don't have any educational background. So they don't have anything to rely on in case the provider... Uh, which is the male figure in the house in Sudan, in case this provider goes away. And so a woman puts up with anything, you know, um, abuse, home abuse, sexual abuse, uh, whatever kind of abuse they can, um, a, a man would put on, on this uh, female. And I, and I say a man, not all men, obviously. Um, but uh, she has to put up with it because she has no other option. What else can she fall back on? And so this leads to this issue. And then that issue ends up leading to a lot of the problems that we're seeing right now in Khartoum, for instance. You find that a lot of the people, a lot of the families that are struggling, they're single moms with six, seven children. The father is not dead. The father just remarried in another state or something. And boom, you have a huge problem in in your hands. And so the Red Project, aims to uh, deal with this issue. RET actually stands for Reach, Educate, Distribute. We want to reach out to those populations. We want to educate them about certain things. For instance, the importance of education for the females, um, the importance of staying in school, the importance of, of having something to, 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 to work with in the future to give you a better op- uh, opportunity in life. And distribute to them um, reusable sanitary pads. Those are very cheap. Um, one pad can um, suffice a female for almost six months. It's with the education about how to use those pads and how to utilize them. You can provide a female with as little as six pads. That would be enough for three years. Those three years can help a girl that is uh, in eighth grade to actually get uh, to actually finish her high school education and get a Sudanese certificate. Um, this can give her an opportunity. Providing them past this point, for instance, with another six paths, that would suffice them for another three years, and so on and so forth. So the first step is to provide this very specific population in a very specific area with uh, with reusable sanitary pads, follow up with them, uh, make sure that they're continuing their education, and then study the impact that, they, that this has in comparison, for instance, with um, their mothers, their sisters that did not, for instance, their older sisters who got married and, and did not have this opportunity, and try to connect and, and help uh, the world understand the correlation between this issue yeah. and all the issues that we're seeing in society. Because at the end of the day, um, the woman is the backbone of the society. If the women are weak, the society is weak, and the society is doomed. Because that means that the sister is weak, the daughter is weak, the wife is weak, the mother is weak. And that will only bring up weak generations after weak generations. And that will, in a, on the long run, will simply stunt the country. You will have generations piling upon each other. And um, yeah, that was the that is what the Red Project um, aims to achieve in a nutshell. So, okay, now uh, I'm trying to summarize, like you have three huge projects for 2021. Uh, you, and uh, you ended up with, uh, with, uh, with this uh, project, which is a collaboration with another uh, initiative in Qatar by Sudanese, yeah. uh, Sudanese yeah. people living in Qatar. Yeah. But you know, like I, w- I was actually, to be, uh, of course, um, I, what can I say? I was completely not aware of 
of this problem that actually girls like some girls drop, drop out of school because of the shame that society puts on them when, when they go through their 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 period so actually that needs to be normalized as well like uh, this kind of conversation need to need to be had you know like uh, this is normal like she, she should not like completely abandon her life because of this and and this leads of course as you ended up with a weaker generation coming for the future see like how very small stone led to a very big mountain that's that's absolutely yeah. mental that's absolutely mental we have so many problems that i think it's a little bit overwhelming right like to what, what exactly what hole can you cover like what can you catch right. this or that or what what can you do what can't you yeah. do but you start with small ste- baby steps exactly exactly you start with baby steps you try to get the people on board and the most important thing is to have this conversation is to at least make sure that one person one extra person today learned about an issue that they were not aware of that is happening right now in Sudan and that is affecting Sudan and that's the most important thing I think I do believe so so do as well I can think I think like I'm just out of words to be honest because I'm still I'm still trying to comprehend whatever you've been saying in the in the last 20 minutes and I think it's too it's, it's too much and I think it's it's too much of of uh, of a problem too much of uh, pain a lot of uh, sisters of us and you know mothers and females like go through in the country and of course they don't feel comfortable enough to talk about it because the society will shame them uh they have they suffer a lot you know they as you said like they carry six or seven children that they have to take care of them and the father just runs away and still like haunts me this is uh, absolutely grave and i'm glad that somebody's looking into this i had no idea personally i hope who's ever listening to this conversation if you are a man please like you know look further like don't don't treat the female as just like a body or a face or appearance like they they go through a lot of problems as well and if you're a, a female like you should be empowered you should be uh, proud of yourself yeah, of course you've been through problems like this that we are not aware of so i uh, just like stay strong you know as sudanese women they need to stay strong they they have done so much for the revolution last year we've seen we've seen like the work they've done and we believe in them as they believe in us so hopefully Hopefully this can go to a better place inshallah in the future. Inshallah. We're hoping so. Yeah, yeah, we hope so. Well, this has been an absolutely interesting conversation full of uh, new information uh, well at least for me <laughs> and uh, I don't know about the Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, that's 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 a very rich conversation and hopefully who's ever listening to this who reached the end of the episode I hope you learned a thing or two you know about Sudan about the problems of Sudan and uh, Just, I want to conclude by like, let's have hope for the future. That does not mean that we are doing like terribly and we're just like, you know, yeah. falling. No, no, actually we're, we're improving because we are learning about this kind of stuff, which means that we have to take the initiative to work, to fix it. And you've, you've uh, put quite good number of examples of things that were really bad last year, really bad in the, uh, during the pandemic and things are improving during the flood season as well. And uh, yeah, let's hope for a better Sudan, inshallah. Uh, 2021, inshallah, is going to be a, a much, much better Sudan. So, Muhammad Bakr, I'm super glad that you joined the podcast. Uh, super glad that Fila Heart is, exists and hopefully more initiatives like this uh, come to light. So, I give you the opportunity to conclude from your part on behalf of Fila Heart. Uh, yeah, on behalf of Fila Heart, I would like to, um, I would like to first thank the people that uh, made Fila Heart possible. Um, it wasn't only me, it wasn't only two, it wasn't three, it was um, a youth movement, I believe, uh, led by specific people, led by concise move, but it is and was a youth movement that um, aims not to only uh, address the issues that is going on in Sudan. We cannot, if we're being uh, completely honest, we cannot address all the issues in Sudan. We might not even be able to address all the issues that we have just listed. Uh, in this uh, conversation but um, I couldn't be more proud of of, uh, of the fact that we have learned uh, from the work we have done I couldn't be more proud of the fact that um, we are working uh, towards fixing the problems that we have learned and I cannot be more proud of the team that is uh, making all of this happen and so I would like to first thank the team that is uh, behind Philohot 
And I would like to thank everyone who ever supported Philohot, whether it was um, a donation, whether it was a help uh, on the field, whether it was whatever. Um, it, it means a lot to us. And um, the fact that um, the work that we do can help one person, again, if it helps one person achieve something in their future, become better in their future, if we can change one person's life, I believe Philahad would have achieved its greatest uh, goal. And um, finally, I would just like to uh, thank you, Hassan, for giving us this opportunity to be able to talk about the work we've done, talk about the work we're doing, and uh, in a way, spread awareness about what the situation is like, what can be done, what needs to be done, and what the world um, what the world needs to see uh, about Sudan. Everyone sees what is uh, fed to them uh, through whether it's social media or uh, news or whatever. I believe um, the world deserves to know more and Sudan needs to be uh, understood better, I think. And so thank you again for this amazing opportunity and um, until we talk next time. Of course, the pleasure is mine. I'm super happy that Fela Hart is part of the uh, series on the podcast, which is Sudanese creators. For the work they're doing, they deserve more than that, to be honest. And so hopefully, uh, like we can have this conversation in, in uh, another time where things are improving and getting better and better and better. So I'm, I'm going to be looking forward for that. And as well, I'm going to be listing down the social media accounts and uh, all the donation links of Fela Hart. Uh, the description of this uh, episode so for all the Sudanese or even if you're not Sudanese listening to, to this episode or watching it on YouTube so you can support you can help and if you're based in Sudan I believe uh, you guys can accept uh, uh, volunteers to, to join the Definitely. team to help Definitely. in so many Definitely. ways yeah Definitely. okay that that would be that would be absolutely great so Mohammed Abubakar thank you so much for being on the podcast and everybody who's listening to this uh, this episode comes uh, uh, as we said, uh, part of uh, Sunnis Creators. Uh, more episodes to come, as always, uh, uh, available on Spotify and Google Podcast, uh, Apple Podcast. I kind of forgot the other platforms as well. Uh, we also have it on YouTube, so it's going to be visual. So if you're listening to this, you can actually watch it on YouTube and see the reactions and the face expressions and everything of the whole conversation. All I want to say, uh, well, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays, because this actually is going to be probably the last episode of the year. And stay tuned for the coming episode. This is Hasan Talks Podcast. Peace out. <laughs>